So this morning we come to the end of a three-part mini-series in which we've been preparing ourselves for electing new elders. A couple of weeks ago we began by talking about the duties of the elder, and we noticed in 1 Peter chapter 5 that Peter uses a, a metaphor which would have been very dear to him. He said that an elder should be a shepherd of the flock that was under their care. Peter had been shepherded by Jesus. Last week, we thought about the qualifications for eldership, and we looked at Paul's teaching on the subject in his uh, letter to Titus, the first chapter. Uh, by the way, if you have a look at the papers that we have placed in the pews, um, you'll see that we have included a little leaflet called Choosing New Elders, produced by the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but all I want you to notice for now is that that uh, leaflet uses a parallel passage from Paul's letter to Timothy, Paul's first letter, to cover this similar ground that we covered last week. In a moment, we're going to think one last time about the kind of person who we should be proposing as a potential new elder. But before we come to do that, we're going to take a few moments uh, to make sure that we're absolutely clear about the process. So one last treat today for lovers of the code, and I promise we'll go code-free next Sunday uh, for as long as we possibly can. Paragraph 178 of the code reads like this. The selection of those proposed to be called to the office of ruling elder in a congregation shall be made by one or other of the following methods as the Kirk session shall determine. Did you know that? There's different ways of doing this. So there are two methods. I'm going to show you the two options and then explain why our Kirk session has chosen uh, the method that we have. So the first method, selection by the congregation. On two successive Sundays, the congregation shall be informed of the number of new ruling elders being sought and voting members invited to look out among themselves qualified persons suitable for the office and to give to the Kirk session on the following Sunday signed lists of the person or persons they propose, not exceeding the number required. The session may, as they see fit, provide for this by the circulation of poll lists to be marked with the names proposed, signed, and returned. The session shall examine the lists received and the names which occur most frequently if the session approve and if those proposed shall consent, shall form a list up to the number of ruling elders required. Should any decline to act, their places may be filled by those who come nearest in proposals recorded up to the said number. No number shall be listed which has not received a minimum of one-third of the votes cast. Don't worry if you didn't get all that. But that is method one, selection by the congregation. The code outlines a second method, selection by the Kirk session. On two successive Sundays, the congregation shall be informed that an election of ruling elders is to take place and voting members invited to propose in writing 
for the consideration of the Kirk session any member or members qualified for the office. The session, having considered the proposals received and having obtained the consent of those approved, shall list the names of those to be presented to the congregation. Okay, method one, method two, let me make a few comments. While the first method is called selection by the congregation, the Kirk session must still be willing to approve the names which appear most frequently in the polling. Within the second method, selection by the Kirk session, voting members of the congregation are making proposals for the consideration of the Kirk session. You'll see that both methods give a responsibility to the voting members of the congregation to make their proposals for the Kirk session. And the Kirk session either approves them in the first method or it considers them in the second method. So whether you're a voting member of the congregation or a member of the Kirk session, we all have a responsibility in the election of our new elders. We're all in this together. As you can imagine, there's room for debate about the merits of each model. We have decided on method two, selection by the Kirk session. And there's a very practical reason why we would use selection by the Kirk session. Look again for a second at the instructions for method one, selection by the congregation. I'm not going to read that paragraph to you again, but only to point out the last line. No name shall be listed which has not received a minimum of one third of the votes cast. Selection by the congregation requires that a person receive at least a third of the votes cast. So in practice, that would mean if we get a hundred proposal papers in, a person would need to have been named, proposed on at least 34 of those. 34 out of 100. Now that would be no problem at all if we were a, a nice little congregation maybe with quite a static membership where everybody knows each other, it would be quite likely, I think, I would hope, that some people in a case like that would get a third of the vote. In a large congregation like this, where many of us don't know each other or are only beginning to get to know each other, this method would very likely yield few candidates and very possibly yield none. The Kirk Session has decided, therefore, to use Method 2. It's my understanding that the Kirk Session has used Method 2 here for a long time. What I'm doing today is making that all clear to you uh, and uh, very, very much want to make that transparent. But maybe this is coming to you as a bit of a surprise. You didn't realize that the Kirk Session had a role in the election of elders beyond simply counting the votes. Well, I want you to be clear about that, and I want us to be transparent about that. You'll be glad to know that the elders have been thinking about this for, for some time. We're not, we're not rushing into this. We've been discussing it for a number of months now. As we discussed method two, we were soon persuaded by its strengths. We see a healthy partnership here between the Kirk session and the congregation. 
each one helping the other by sharing their strength and helping with the other's weakness. So what's the Kirk Session strength in this? Well, because we have been elders for some time, we're with a bit of an idea, I hope, about what the role of an elder is. Maybe more than you can have when you've never been an elder. So the Kirk session will share that particular strength, but we need help with our weakness. We don't know everybody in the congregation. We certainly don't know as many people as all of you collectively do. And vice versa, the members of the congregation, you will all know each other. We can cover every member of this congregation if we all make our proposals and votes. But the Kirk session can then help determine whether that person would make a good elder at this point in time. So selecting new elders by method two allows us, elders and voting members, to work together for God's glory. I hope that a couple of minutes of explanation helps you see how seriously our Kirk session takes your proposals and how seriously we take our responsibilities in this process. So let's keep praying. Let's make our proposals, praying for ourselves as we make those proposals, praying for the Kirk session as they oversee the process, and praying already for the new elders whom God is preparing to serve in this place. I want to spend a, a last few moments bringing this whole mini-series to a close, focusing one last time on the key question, whom should we choose? Let me give you the short answer and then explain why I believe it's the only answer in the end. We should choose people who help us become more like Jesus. That's it, in a nutshell. If we do that, then we'll do all right. Let me share very quickly how I came to this conclusion. First of all, Jesus made people who were like him. Jesus, in, in his earthly ministry, was in the business of creating people who would be like him. We know that's here in Hamilton Road. We talked about it earlier. Um, as I was uh, talking with Tom, we talk a lot here about disciples, about faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Disciples aren't primarily people who sign up to a body of beliefs, important though that is. They're not primarily people who've joined a, a church or a denomination. They're people who've apprenticed themselves to Jesus Christ. People who long to become more and more like him. Jesus' first disciples, they were learning from him how to be more like him, how to say the kinds of things that he said and to do the kinds of things that he did in his spirit's strength. Jesus was creating people who were like him. But Jesus never intended for it to stop there. He wasn't happy to have 12 people who were like him. He wanted a world of people becoming like him. And so as he returned to his father, he told his disciples, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. That's the, the great commission taken this time from the message translation. 
Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, as you're becoming more like me, train others to become more like me too. The New Testament church seemed to understand this. Uh, we can see that it was no, no problem for them, no, a no-brainer, as we might say. Church leaders in the New Testament were people who led by example, helping people become more like Jesus. That's why we have Peter in that passage we read a couple of weeks ago describing the godly elder as, as what? Somebody who's not lording it over the people entrusted to you but being an example to the flock. Paul makes it clearer still that we lead by example and that that example is the example that has been set for us in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm becoming more like him. If you follow my example, you'll become more like him too. That's what Paul was saying. It seems crazy, doesn't it? Can you imagine saying that yourself? Of course not. Maybe we've just got Paul at a weak moment. Maybe he's taken the head staggers at this point in his letter to Corinth. He can't surely have understood himself and his work in this way. He did. He absolutely did. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 is entirely consistent with how he thinks of his work as a Christian leader. Let me show you a few more verses where he talks about the example he wants to give and he wants other people to follow. Philippians 3, verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Philippians 4 verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. This is, it. This is how Paul thinks of his ministry. As an example setting leadership for others to follow. And it wasn't just for Paul himself. It wasn't because he's an apostle. No, it's, it's for all who would be church leaders. And that's why we have him saying to his apprentices in that passage we read earlier, 1 Timothy 4, he says, verse 12, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but do what? Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Do you see what's happening here? Timothy seems to be younger than at least a lot of people in the congregation, but Paul isn't worried about that. He says, Timothy, you can be and you must be an example to the church in Ephesus. And then in Titus, the same advice to Titus in Crete, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. So that quick look at the life of Jesus, of his disciples, of Paul and the early church in general, it's crystal clear that a church leader, an elder, is a person who will be an example for us. 
a person who will help us become more like Jesus. It makes sense, doesn't it? When you bear in mind what the church is for. Remember how C.S. Lewis put it? I've showed you this before. He said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. When you're making your proposals this week, look for the little Christs, the ones who will help you become more like little Christ as you sit under their leadership. Look for the person who's got the spirit of Jesus in them. If we do that, we won't go too far wrong. I want to close, uh, I still want to take a few more moments just to, first of all, to encourage you to exercise your vote and then by explaining the way forward. I should say, as we've approached this election, I've been really encouraged. There's been a healthy uh, sense of interest in this around the place in the last few weeks. People are asking questions. People are keen to understand what's going on and how this works. And they're considering seriously who they might vote for. That, that is great. Over the last number of months, as we've prepared for this election, I've heard a number of people I've heard, I've heard some comments about how these elections have gone in the past. So I've heard that sometimes the number of people who've engaged with these elections hasn't been as high as we might have liked. We might talk about a, a low voter turnout. That doesn't seem right to me. I just want to say that. That would speak for me of a failure to care about the church family that I'm a part of, or a belief that I have no part to play. I wouldn't be comfortable that any voting member of Hamilton Road would feel that way, that they don't care, or they feel they don't have any part to play. If you think either of those things, I'd ask you to reconsider that this morning. And I'd ask you to demonstrate that you do care and that you feel a part of things by joining in and, and making your proposals. Another comment I've heard is that younger voting members haven't always chosen to participate in previous elections of elders. I, I wonder if that's maybe quite like the culture. I wonder if younger people politically aren't engaged in, in elections the way they might be. Folks, again, let's put that to rights. If you're old enough to be an, a voting member, then you're old enough to participate. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the very reasons why we're electing new elders is because our existing elders long for rejuvenation in our Kirk session throughout our whole church family. We want your contribution your participation, whatever age you are. Nobody who's a voting member is too young to be a part of this. Okay, now that you've decided that you're going to make your proposals, 
You have decided that, haven't you? Yeah. I'm going to answer three questions that have been asked and then finish with a few comments about the proposal papers you have there. I've been asked when we're having an election, sorry, I've been asked when <clears throat> we're having an election for the Congregational Committee, because that's not, that, that's an important part of our church's life too, and it's not uh, irrelevant to the election of elders. We haven't had a committee election for a couple of years uh, due to the pandemic, so that's actually overdue, and we're planning to have one quite soon, uh, probably sometime after Easter and before the summer. You might factor that into your thinking. Here's how. You might be thinking of a person. You might think that's a, a great, uh, great man or great woman. But at this point, you might think to yourself that their gifts are, are better suited to the congregational committee than the Kirk session. Well, it would help you to know we're just about to elect a congregational committee. In a similar vein, I've been asked when the next elders election might be likely to be. Uh, since we need the permission of a presbytery, we can't be definitive about this, but I don't want you to imagine that this is a, a once-in-a-generation election. We anticipate more elders uh, retiring in the next few years. I hope that our commitment to rejuvenation is an ongoing one and not a momentary one. And, and so we might imagine repeating the process and electing some more new elders in the not-too-distant future. I'm thinking of somewhere in the next three to five years. Again, that might help you when you're thinking of your proposals. You might think, for example, she or he's a very good uh, person, but they're, they're quite young or just a little inexperienced or, or maybe a little new to our church family. I'd like to just wait a little bit longer. Uh, maybe I'll propose them in a next election of elders. There'll be further opportunities to, to do that, to elect, to nominate people to eldership in the future. Final question to answer, what happens next? Because I'm going to guess most people aren't clear about this. The voting members this week are going to make their proposals. The Kirk session, as we saw at the start of what I said this morning, are going to consider those proposals. The Kirk session will then invite a number of people to be uh, potential new elders, and those people will have to agree. If, if they don't agree, they, they won't be new elders. We'd like to take a little bit of time with that. If you imagine being a person who is approached, would you like to be a new elder? We'd like to give them more than 24 hours to make that decision. We'd love them to have a bit of time. So for a while, this will be with the Kirk session. It will be with the prospective new elders. But the, the Kirk session will then bring back a list of those who've agreed to stand. And that list is going to be presented back to you. This is important. Expect that to happen uh, during and in late February. And the voting members will finally approve the list of new elders. So if you think of it this way, you're going to make your proposals to the Kirk session. Then the Kirk session are going to consider those and speak to some potential candidates. And then the Kirk session are going to bring names back to you. 
So you're going to start the process and finish it. The elders who we have here will be those whom you finally approve. Don't worry if that's not all clear. We'll keep communicating that as we go. Okay, hopefully if you're a voting member, you can see um, one, of, one of these proposal papers. Let me talk my way through these very quickly. I've already mentioned the leaflet, Choosing New Elders, produced by the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. By the way, we, we didn't print hundreds and hundreds. We did 350 of these proposal papers. We thought that would be enough for this morning. Uh, feel free to reach into an empty pew near you or try to get your hands on one or share with somebody near you. So the first thing you want to notice is this uh, choosing new elders. Do read that. It's a, a good recap of the kind of thinking we've done in God's Word the last number of weeks. A, a second document you might want to have sight of we haven't printed for you, and that's our final voters list. We've made it available in a, few, a couple of different ways. So there are a few hard copies at the exit. You can take those with you. We've put it on Church Suite, so you can access it there to save us printing 500 copies or whatever. Or a, a clever innovation that I've seen some people doing, they've, they've taken a photograph just of the one on the wall and taken it away with them. It's, it's very useful to have the voters list in front of you. It, it reminds you of people who, who you maybe can't bring to mind without a prompt. So um, do, do have the voters list. And then the, the third document that'll be helpful for you is the actual proposal paper itself. You'll see that it has some notes by way of explanation. I'm not going to cover those because we've mostly uh, covered those this morning. If you turn to the back page of it, that's your actual proposal paper. That's where you're going to write uh, the names of those uh, that you're going to, to propose. I do want to stress a few things. Do print the names. If we can't read them, we can't record a vote. We've left room for you to propose as many names as you wish. And let me stress, one, one good proposal is very valid. If there's a person whom God's laid in your heart, tell us who they are. You don't need to know lots and lots. You'll see that we want you to print your own name and to sign and to date it. That's to, to give validity to your, your proposing. And then you'll see that we also want you to check that your name's on the voters list and that the names of those who you propose is on the voters list. So only those on the voters list can make proposals and only those on the voters list can be proposed. So you've got to tick both of those boxes to show us that. If you're keen to have your proposals counted, then please have your signed uh, proposal paper back to us by 8 p.m. next Sunday evening. So that means you can work on it during the week. You can bring it to next Sunday morning service. You can bring it to next Sunday evening service, or you can bring it to us during the week at any point that suits you. I hope that's all clear. If you have any more questions, be in touch with us, and, and we'll certainly try to help you with those. So friends, we've taken time for three weeks now to prepare ourselves for an election of elders. Now it's over to you and to God's Holy Spirit prompting you, leading you, and guiding you.
Could I encourage you folks to take each nomination, each proposal with the utmost seriousness? Pray. I don't know if you pray about things you do in your life. Pray about this. Ask for God's Holy Spirit to lead you. Don't put any name forward unless you believe that that person could help to lead this church family in the ways that we've been thinking about. As I've said, if you can think of only one person who qualifies, that's, that's fine. Much better to have a smaller number of prayerfully considered proposals than a swathe of, of impulsive or casual suggestions. Let's make our proposals. Let's choose those who will help us grow as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all the ways in which you provide for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for leaders. And Lord, we pray this morning that you'd be with us in the incoming week as we pay attention to your leading and guiding and we propose names for people who we think might be those you're calling to lead us in this place. Lord, go before us and help us follow your lead. Amen.